Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, yo, Elizabeth Dutton. What you doing? Nothing. How you been, girl? Good, good. I got a quick question for you. Yeah. You know what's ridiculous? Oh, I do. Oh, well, I do. share it with me. Let Come me, on. Let me uh, drop this on you. Um, there's a company that is partnering up with a resale retailer called ThreadUp, mm-hmm. and they're going to have 157 secondhand streetwear and designer pieces that are okay. part of a collection. Sure. Why am I telling you this? I don't hear the ridiculous part, no. It's part of, this is the end of my trilogy of food brands getting where they shouldn't be. Oh, no. So I talked about Applebee's. Uh-huh. Applebee's. <laughs> I talked about, what was the other one? Velveeta. Velveeta, yeah. With Martinis. Mm-hmm. Velveeta teenies. Vel- yeah. Heinz Ketchup is doing the Heinz Vintage Drip Collection. Every piece comes with its own unique glob of dried ketchup. Wait, what? I mean, I, I caught the whole, like, I can hear the marketing meeting. You know, mm-hmm. the kids are saying, nice drip. So we're right. known for drips as ketchup. We yeah. should merge that synergy. I can totally hear the meeting. Uh-huh. But what I could not anticipate is we should also put some of our product on it. What do you mean our product? Like a nice dried <laughs> goop of ketchup. So some fashion maven has to go out and collect all these vintage pieces. Uh-huh. And then some dope has to walk around with a bottle of ketchup and just fling it at it. <laughs> so each piece has some ketchup on it. And what happens when I wash my piece? Do you I, don't. Because then I lose the ketchup. Well, who washes clothes? <laughs> Long, awkward pause. So they, <laughs> um, they uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you wash it. Whatever. 
it's it's so it's one of the things you're basically not supposed to wear like you you buy it and you want to tell people you own it you take pictures of it and you put it on i guess well they said you know that they that heinz is iconic and that is it they're they're celebrating reuse is one of the things in the statement are they and then they said it's for quote fashion risk takers is it though and food lovers alike so what are you gonna buy it and then suck on it when you're hungry (laughs) food lovers alike (laughs) like you can just take a little with you we can have a little flavor saver right here in the in the press release it says uh, they want to participate in the circular economy while doing good for the people and the planet. We hope it makes a splash or drip. The circular economy is that like where they make a product, they sell it, and then when you come up with something creative, they take that and then they sell that again. Yes, that's the circular, that's the circular economy. economy. Okay. All proceeds uh, go to Rise Against Hunger. <laughs> <laughs> Could they just give the money right to the? Thank you, thank you. Instead of like turning it into this whole. Whatever this is. Whatever. I gestures wildly at everything. Whatever. Yeah, okay. That's ridiculous. Thank you. Que ridiculo. Thank you. Elizabeth, I got something for you. I sure it you do. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I I stress that. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there have been many things poised to ruin America in the course of our <laughs> hundreds of years of existence. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many things that we can list. It wouldn't, that people worried and claimed this is going to threaten the young of America, ruin the fabric of our society. Today, I'd like to tell you about one of the most sinister, one of the most pernicious threats we've ever survived. Elizabeth, are you ready to discuss the life-changing threat, mm-hmm. the democracy-wrecking threat of comic books? Oh, wow. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Our story starts in 1940. Mm -hmm. That's when there was a Chicago newspaper that wanted to do the good thing and warn its readers that, quote, Superman heroics, voluptuous females in scanty attire, blazing machine guns, hooded justice, and cheap political propaganda were to be found on almost every page. What, mind you, could they be talking about? Of course, I've already told you the answer. (laughs) Comic books. Now, this writer, this is talking to an America right before World War II. This is a a different America than the America we know of, right? This is a isolationist America. This is an America that was basically had its head turned inward, if you will, from the world. And comic books was one of our favorite fantasies for the young and, you know, for the young at heart. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet that scared people. There were these these Supermans and these Wonder Womans that they just didn't understand what the kids saw in them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they compared this to what they did know. And so the newspaper said, and I quote, The old dime novels in which an occasional redskin bit the dust were classic literature compared to the sadistic drivel pouring from the presses today. So a a genocide of a whole continent of people is good for children to read about, but somebody in spandex, that's ruining them. Yeah, yeah. So you can see where we're going with all of this. Okay. Now, the children of America, you know, we've often hear this being the, you know, they are the sheep who we have to worry about these wolves descending upon, right? Who Mm -hmm. will protect the kids? What about the kids? (laughs) Think of the kids, Elizabeth. (laughs) Now, this Chicago paper in 1940 had the exact same tone that you would recognize today. 
and I quote, Okay. Unless we want a coming generation even more ferocious than the present one, parents and teachers throughout America must band together to break the comic magazine. Now, you don't typically hear about the ferocious 30s and 40s kids. You know, I think the greatest generation turned out okay, from what I understand. I yeah, don't but, know. I mean, I think, weren't they all smoking when they were 11 years old? <laughs> they had two driving jobs. Driving cars. You'd be smoking, too. Yes, yes. Now, I will be honest. I can understand, looking back, why they may have been a little worried, because... To be all the way real, there were comic books like one of the most popular characters at the time was a character named Lady Satan. Oh. And that sounds bad. Lady Satan. You're like, wait, wait, Lady <laughs> Satan. How can that be good for the kids, right? But you have to hear her side of the story, okay? It's actually Lady Satan. Yes, it's actually, it's a whole misunderstanding. It's French. Lady Satan. Now, uh, Lady Satan, right? <laughs> this innocent Lady Satan. Just before she was to be married and become Lady Satan, she and her fiancé were on a boat, and a boat that was attacked by Nazis. Nazis, Elizabeth! Uh-oh. She survived the boat wreck, but her fiancé, he did not. He perished. And in her fiancé's dying moments there in the wide expanse of ocean, Lady Satan was born. <laughs> she swore to defeat the Nazis and Nazism. Lady Satan, Elizabeth, is basically <laughs> the first Antifa superhero. Why are you yelling at me about this? <laughs> I that? didn't do it. Look, this is my superhero voice, and I want you to understand these are serious times. <laughs> So, Lady Satan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you rang. <laughs> you can see how the parents may get worried about that. They hear Satan and they well, go. Well, yeah, it doesn't sound so hot. Yeah, but I mean, like the same time, or right, you know, right around the same time, you're going to have the Hell's Angels. It took them a little while, little while to be afraid of the Hell's Angels, and they were literally hitting people in the they face. They were literally angels from hell. <laughs> <laughs> now, this theme. Uh, of like comic books being the greatest danger to America, obviously it pales in comparison to real fascism. So during the war years, you didn't see any of this talk of like, oh, the kids, the fascism mm -hmm. and the comic books, right? But as soon as the war is over, mm -hmm. 1945, we get right back to it. <laughs> God. Time Magazine, of all people, publishes another screed against comic books. And you ready for this title, Elizabeth? Yes. The title was, Are Comics Fascist? <laughs> No. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just I'm just asking questions over here. And then there's a yes, no, maybe we have to like click <laughs> check, the, check the box. <laughs> so the the article featured a, a bevy of people, but the the person that it really focused on was this dude uh, Ong Walter J Ong O N G. Right? Mm -hmm. He was a professor at this small college in Colorado, and he'd been writing articles mostly in re religious things and and in local Southwest magazines like Arizona Quarterly. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in Arizona Quarterly, the headline for his article was Superman is a Nazi. Oh, <laughs> he got right to it. That... <laughs> he, okay. He wasn't like time asking questions. No, he had he... decided, you know. He was declarative. So in his article, Superman is a Nazi, Ong had argued that, quote, Everything is centered on one man, the leader, the hero, the duce, the Fuhrer. Heard responses not being on the rational level, this hero does not appeal by argument. He builds on the herd's dreams. He hypnotizes. Thus did Hitler and Mussolini. The Superman of the cartoons is true to his sources. That is a stretch. Right? Exactly. No, he's totally like, you know, people worry about like Antifa now. He was like worried about Fafa or whatever. I don't right. know. Whatever it is. He's 
convinced that the kids are going to go full fascist because of Wonder Woman and Superman. He's right? like, I don't trust this Blake Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Blake <laughs> Spider-Man DDS. So, Ong, right? He, he focuses, obviously, on Superman, but I mean, the the real focus for his vim and vigor is Wonder Woman because, of course, he's also sexist. Woman. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you saw it coming. Yeah. So he says, "Well, can you guess why Wonder Woman would be a threat to this guy?" Boobs. <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> that's <laughs> one reason. Um, is it because? Well, what would he claim that the children would be ruined by Wonder Woman by? Uh, maybe like her, doesn't she have like an Amazon army? Good call. Spot on. There it is. It's either that or the invisible plane. No, no. He didn't care about the technology so much. It was that one, she swears by Zeus, which is clearly a violation of Judeo-Christian gods. Well, in Greek. Yeah. She also, (laughs) she praised Aphrodite, which according to Ong, is a Hitlerite paganism. Good (laughs) God. This guy needs... He needs to get out and well, touch grass. He had on his side the creator of Wonder Woman, William Marston. Not like they weren't on Wait. the same side, but William Marston was saying stuff that would make you be like, these people are saying the He's same like, thing. Yeah, I basically <laughs> made like, her a Nazi. To this quote. <laughs> so William Marston, uh, well, here. He's like, finally, someone understands Wonder Woman. Exactly. Someone gets what I'm trying to drive at. (laughs) Like, oh, no. (laughs) So uh, Ong had basically, you know, theorized that Wonder Woman is, as you pointed out, about this Amazonian matriarchy. And that's a threat, right? But Marston had said in his own quote that, and I quote, Men actually submit to women now. They do it on the sly with a sheepish grin because they're ashamed of being ruled by weaklings. Give them an alluring woman stronger than themselves to submit to, and they'll be proud to become her willing slaves. Marston, man, come on. You're not (laughs) helping anybody over here. I love how everything has to be like one or the other. Oh, yeah. No, totally. So Marston is basically going, yeah, feminazis are good. This guy over here is going, man, feminazis are coming. But they both agree feminazis (laughs) is the future. (laughs) So uh, this future of America did look bleak. And so by 1950s, all this tension that was bubbling up in the 40s starts to come to a rock and royal and bubble, right? Now, Mm -hmm. we know in the 50s, we think of, oh, that's when all the conformity culture is there and that's when you have the red scares well <laughs> yeah there were more than one moral panic okay. and uh, you end up having things like this tv show called confidential file which was hosted by serious journalist paul coates elizabeth can you imagine what paul coates had to say in 1955 to the american people about comic books based on what you've heard up till now and he's trying to go past that he's going past oh yes the nazi thing well you know i would say past the nazi thing that's its own little thing but right. past the idea of america be afraid of comic books look what they're doing to the kids Does he think there are subliminal messages that's close that's okay. close uh basically his idea is that the real problem is not the comic books it's you, the American people. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so he's like, this problem is going on. Why does it exist? And uh, he says, The undesirable comic books haven't disappeared from the newsstands of this country. Why? I'll tell you exactly why. Because no action has been taken by the most powerful influence in America. The people. You. So, Elizabeth, I got to ask you, why aren't you protecting America? Like, why won't you just get off your duff and do something? Because I'm tired. I'm yeah. so tired. Well, you know, I have no answers for you other than it's up to you. <laughs> like the, with the forest it fires, with me. it's the same thing. I'm telling you, if it's... Anyway, you get the point. You know what? Basically... I, I take care of myself. <laughs> this is the problem. And Ong was right. 
So this dude, this serious journalist, Paul Coates, right? He starts warning people about the economies that the kids are using to get these comic books because he says, look, the kids aren't buying them all. They buy one comic book and then they spread them around by sharing them with their friends. So they end up reading 10 comic books, but they only buy one. So the numbers are misleading. So there's this black market out there that he's telling people, parents mostly, to be worried about that their kids are like, you know, pushing comic books to each other like it'll, like a uh, gateway drug pushers, right? Yeah, we don't want them to read. Oh, oh, I'm glad you bring that up. <laughs> there is this scene where Paul, serious Paul Coates, he has this, the audience has to watch this group of 10 and 11 year old boys. They all, they're all from different ethnicities, economic stations, but it's mid fifties America. So they're all in like the big cuff blue jeans and the striped shirts. And mm -hmm. they're, they're all running out of their houses and out of their like tenement homes. And they go and they run to this place like it's under a tree. And then under this big tree, we see, and I quote, when I was a boy and played with the gang, we did a lot of things. We roasted potatoes, went on expeditions, what? we tipped over garbage cans now and then. We wrote nasty remarks about the teacher on the sidewalk. But we never spent an afternoon sitting around like this, reading. Look at these hooligans roasting he says, potatoes. No, but he's talking about these kids are reading. And he says, and, and I continue. But they're not reading anything constructive. They're reading stories devoted to adultery, to sexual perversion, to horror the most despicable of crimes. Sir, you weren't reading anything. You were you were roasting potatoes, roasting potatoes yeah. and knocking over trash so cans. He's mad that these kids are reading. He's literally making the case these kids should not be reading. So at this point in this news footage, we see this little kid. He's the tiniest kid in the group. He mm -hmm. gets picked up by all the others. They fly him around. Then they like hold him against a tree. Then they pull out like matches and try to burn him. Then they pull out a pocket knife and they're going to cut him. And serious journalist Paul Coates is like, I'm not suggesting that comic books instilled violence in the minds of these boys. I've never heard any responsible person suggest that. What I am suggesting is that crime and horror comic books stimulate outbursts of destructive violence that might otherwise have been channeled into much less antisocial activity. Like potato roasting. Yes, exactly. And he ends this Coates dude, I bet you he looks like he chews on his own toenails. Oh, completely. He ends the, the big scene with... Games like this have ended in death many times. It's very 50s. You'll Wait, love it. Games? What, just tossing the runt? Well, the, they have the knife, the they're holding pack. the knife up to the kid's like face, and they're like taunting him with this pen knife, and he's like, games like this have ended in death many times. But then the last thing I'll tell you about this dude, Paul Coates, he has these these panels of experts, and so he invites these people to tell you know, American parents and school teachers why it's so, so dangerous. So the first expert he talks to is this guy, David Freeman. Tell me how comic books make you feel, Dave. Now, Dave, mind you, is an 11-year-old boy. And Dave says... <laughs> Well, it'll make me feel too good. A couple of times you read a comic book, I threw up. I threw up. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's what he's got, right? That's this his, like, kid. his scare tactic. It's or is like, this one of those, I talked to my three-year-old son, and yeah, he said, Daddy. Pretty much, yeah. You know, the the hierarchy of <laughs> capitalist society. You're like, no, that kid didn't. <laughs> no three-year-old, yeah. No. He's got the kid on camera, and he's saying it, but the kid's clearly been coached. Okay, my question for you is simple, Elizabeth. Yeah. If not you, who will save the children of America from Superman and Wonder Woman? Blake Spiderman. Yeah, well, after this break, I'm going to tell you who will save America, and it ain't you. No. Can I rant for a sec? Please. 
Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by US News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24/7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts and there's a 60-day money back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Now, Elizabeth, before the break, I asked you, who other than you should America turn to in order to save the children? Not that Coates, man. Yeah, and uh, in our one corner, we had serious journalist Paul Coates, and in the other corner, we had Lady Satan. I, I trust Lady Satan, quite <laughs> frankly. Well, I'll let you know that it, America chose differently. America turned its hopeful eyes to a team of geriatric men, many of whom were kids in the 1800s. What? That's right. The U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Comic Books. Oh, man. Because it's 1954, and so many of them There's were born in the 1800s. Subcommittee on Comic Books. Yes. Think of Joseph McCarthy's Red Scare, but for kids. Oh, fun. <laughs> it was the <laughs> social event of the season. All the all the materials are written in crayon with like a backwards letter every now and then. <laughs> I'm going to need another piece of paper. <laughs> Our center stage character taking the role of Joseph McCarthy is Senator Estes Kefauver from Tennessee. Wait, what's his last name? Kefauver. 
It sounds like you're you don't know how to say it, so you just keep yeah. <laughs> My name is Senator Estes Keefhaber. <laughs> Sir, do you know your own last name? Yes, I do. It's Keefhaber. I can't read it right here. It's, it's got an R in there somewhere. <laughs> now, Keefhaber, he, he made fighting comic books his personal How do you spell mission. this? Keefhaber? <laughs> it's K E Fava. F A U V E R. Keefauver. 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 Now, Keefauver, he had for his uh, star witness, Mr. Dr. Frederick Wortham. Mr. Dr. Frederick. (laughs) Dr. Frederick. Dr. Frederick Wortham, child psychologist. (laughs) Is he a child? He's a psychologist? (laughs) He's a psychologist. He's a child. He's all made me throw up. Doogie Howser's based on me. (laughs) So, no, he worked in a Harlem hospital, and he treated underprivileged children. And his research was integral to more than one 1954 media sensation, not just this case, but also for the Brown versus the Board of Education. He was integral to establishing a legal argument for why segregation was wrong. So this guy was like about it at this time. People were listening to him often in Washington, right? So at that same time, he was out, you know, in Washington at this point to testify on Capitol Hill about how the children's souls were being poisoned by Lady Satan. So (laughs) he was an early and vocal advocate for children's well-being, and uh, he also advocated for poor children. He was known for arguing for mentally challenged children as well, because he wanted all of them to be able to receive, wait for it, fair criminal trials. Wow. Okay, wow. <laughs> you just whipped the rug out from underneath. He didn't want any children not to have a fair criminal trial. We have trial. to prep them for the for the prison industrial complex. <laughs> exactly. So he wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent. Oh, and in it, in it, he made some wild claims, as one does when they want to sell a book like his. <laughs> and he said such things that like Superman, which is an anti-American fascist, which we've kind of covered. Mm-hmm. He also made claims about... Uh, Batman and Robin, they hitting it? They dating, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're a couple, right? Oh, wow. That was like a whole chapter. I don't know what's going on with you, dude. So Wortham is our star witness for this Senate subcommittee. And Elizabeth, I would like you to close your eyes (gasps) and picture it. I will. Okay. The year is 1954. You're in Washington, D.C. You're a hungry beat reporter, just a cub reporter sent by your editor to meet with First Lady Mamie Eisenhower. Do I get one of those cool hats that says press? Yeah, with the tag in it? Yes. Just for the sake of the, I can imagine it better, could you do a quick impression of Mamie Eisenhower for me? Oh, I do a really good Mamie Eisenhower. Okay, I thought I had heard you say that. All right, hold on. Okay. Okay. Hey, everybody, it's me, Mamie Eisenhower. Get out of my way, I'm going to drive in the car. (laughs) It's amazing. It's right? like Ike's ghost would be confused. Yeah, it's uncanny. If I do say so myself, it's uncanny. Uncanny. So, as you now are well aware, that's the voice of the lady who you are sent to cover, Mamie Eisenhower. And you're there to you know, ask her about... It's the got gar- a beautiful voice. Oh, amazing. They talked to her about garden parties and the lunches with the ladies of the Beltway. Mm-hmm. And on your way to meet Mamie Eisenhower, you see this, like, gathering of crowd, this melee, a hullabaloo outside the Capitol Hill. Being a reporter, you're like, what's going on over there? I got a nose for news. Yes, you do, girl. So you go ahead and over. And you part through the crowd because you're all business. Mm -hmm. You get right into the Capitol. And then soon enough, you're carried by this wave of enthusiasm and action right into the Senate floor. And actually, you're above it. You're in the Senate gallery. <laughs> they wouldn't let you onto the Senate flower. Right, right in there. Give me, the, give me that gavel. Like, meanwhile, there's a kid there who's testifying all. <laughs> you know, These comic books make me feel funny inside. <laughs> 
So you go and find your seat in the Senate gallery, mm-hmm. uh, the, the seats above, you know, in the rotunda, and uh, this raucous subcommittee is going on underway. You have Chairman Robert Hendrickson banging his gavel. He's making pronouncements about his subcommittee hearing and what the purposes will be. And then Chairman Hendrickson, he gives the floor to Senator Estes Kefauver from Tennessee. And he lays out the stakes of this case. And I quote, The subcommittee is looking into violations of various federal laws, such as the Dyer Act, the Mann Act, violation of interstate commerce, and in connection with the subject matter. Now, Senator Estes Kefauver <laughs> hams it up for the press oh. and for all of you in the gallery, right? You're like, the Dyer Act, the Man Act, what could he be talking about? What danger is America facing? And he keeps mentioning kids with the Man Act? Now, Senator Estes Kefauver is not done. He's also going to do a, a little bit of a name and name so that people know how serious he is. So Senator Kefauver, and a quote, Mr. J. Edgar Hoover's report of yesterday shows that whereas the increase of population last year was 5%, crime had gone up 20%, and a particularly large increase was in connection with burglaries and stealing of automobiles. Interesting part is that the large part of the burglaries are committed by juveniles. Juveniles, Elizabeth. Juveniles. Juveniles. Now, Senator Estes Kefauver takes a moment and refreshes his Southern linguistics. You recognize <laughs> this is a dramatic pause just for the news cameras to get a close-up of him, right? Your reporter instincts are fully peaked. You're still wondering what the Man Act and the Dyer Act is going on, <laughs> right? Now, since you're a good reporter, you know that the Dyer Act is the 1919 federal law that prohibits interstate commerce of stolen vehicles. You take a stolen vehicle over state lines, boom, in violation of the Dyer Act. You're right. like, okay, that explains the juveniles with the, with the cars. Yeah. But where does the man act come in? Because yeah. being the cub reporter that you are, Elizabeth, sitting here in 2022, you may be confused. I don't know if you know the man act, but <laughs> mid-century Elizabeth, she knows that that is in direct reference to the white slave trade. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So Plucky reported that you are. You're like, white slave trade in comic books. I'm not seeing it, Senator. But the senator is not answering questions to you, Miss Elizabeth, so he doesn't have to tell people what the Man Act and the white slave trade has to do with comic books. Instead, he just insinuates. Oh, the okay. other senators, they go and they ask him, but, sir, sir, what about uh, Edgar Allan Poe, which as when I was a boy, I used to read the stories of Edgar Allan Poe, and he's like, well, yeah. Now, some of the senators, they're like, you know, when I liked Edgar Allan Poe, there were stories about, you know, all sorts of crimes and criminality, but none of the boys went around like walling up the neighbor kid in the basement. Oh, God. So, I don't oh, God. see the issue. What's changed for today's kids, right? Good question. Right? Super solid question. Now, luckily, we have Dr. Wortham here to answer it. It is said that children from secure homes are not affected, Mr. Chairman. As long as the crime comic books industry exists in its present form, there are no secure homes. You cannot resist infantile paralysis in your home alone. You must take into account the neighbor's children. You see, it's not just you, Elizabeth. It's the neighbors. Wait, aren't most of these comic book cats crime fighters? Yeah, but you have to have a crime to fight it, don't you? Right. And so they're worried that these kids are focused on the crime. They're doing things to hope that <laughs> and Superman comes down. And, and they're getting like, the message of, here's how citizen. you kidnap a woman and tie her up um, to the railroad tracks, like in case they want to do that. <laughs> they're trying to summon Yeah, they Superman. don't want any kind of copycat crimes, <laughs> like no using your x-ray vision goggles, kids. So 
Elizabeth. Zarin. Mid-century Elizabeth knows where I'm coming from in this. Now She knows everything. Yeah, but when you... you Me, may, I know nothing. You may hear the words of Dr. Wortham and be confused, but I'll just lay out another quote for you. Mid-century Elizabeth would get this. Okay. Okay, but you try to stick with me. Slow okay? bird, yeah. And Wortham said, and I quote... I would like to point out to you one other crime comic book we have found to be particularly injurious to the ethical development of children, and those are the Superman comic books. They arouse in children fantasies of sadistic joy in seeing other people punished over and over again while you yourself remain immune. We have called it the Superman complex. So there's your answer. So joy and punishment. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's punishing the criminals. You're stoked because it's not you because you're not a criminal. I don't think you see it, future Elizabeth. No, I don't. <laughs> it's right there in front of you. Don't you see it? Superman, Uberman, U- Deutschland, Deutschland, Uber Alice. It's right there. It's just a road to fascism. You know what I have to say to that? Mm-hmm. Lady Satan, Lady <laughs> Satan. Well, he wants you to know that, and I quote Dr. Wortham, in these comic books, the crime is always real. Then Superman's triumph over good is unreal. Moreover, these books, like any other, teach complete contempt of the police. For instance, they show you pictures where some preacher takes two policemen and bangs their heads together. Or, to quote from all these comic books you know, you can call a policeman a cop and he won't mind. But if you call him copper, that is a derogatory term. And these boys, we teach them them to call policemen coppers. I just can't. <laughs> you can't with it, can I you? I can't. <laughs> You're not ready for the 50s, there's, Elizabeth. There's such a logic chasm going on here. Oh, dude. Well, the thing is, it's like, okay, my mother was alive in the 50s, and I remember a joke that she told me from this time. She mm-hmm. was a schoolgirl, and she used to have a joke. When they'd be sitting there at the school bus stop, and a cop would drive by, one of the kids just would shout, what are old pennies made out of? And these kids are all like seven, eight. They would look at the cop and yell, dirty copper! Or, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, that is like what he's basically describing. My mother went on to become a school teacher. Did, I don't think that the Did whole, she read a lot of Lady Satan? She loved Lady Satan. That's her favorite. <laughs> She's got a poster still up in her room. <laughs> One of her posters. <laughs> so, Senator Keefauver is not... Yeah, he's like, you know, this guy, Dr. Wortham, who I brought in, he's stealing up all the, the, the crazy air. I need to get some <laughs> of this from myself, right? So he's like, if I'm going to get any headlines, I'm going to need to move beyond this whole fascism, Nazis. We beat the Nazis. We got new concerns. So what does he do? He pushes it down the road. Senator Kefauva, and I quote, while you're on that subject, Dr. Wortham, may I see that thing? Anybody who opposes comic books is a red... Dr. Wortham. Yes, that is a that is part of it because the comic book industry had apparently accused Dr. Wortham of being a communist, which is patently That's ludicrous. Amazing. <laughs> right? So Senator Kefauver then says, you know what? I'm not done. We need to get this two-man crazy train further down the tracks. Next stop, Hitler. He's like, back it up, sir. Senator Kefauver. Would you like in this situation you talk about showing that same thing over and over again till they finally believed it? To what we heard about during the last war of Hitler's theory that they tell the same story over and over again. Now, Chairman Hendrickson, he jumps in. He's like, ah, the the big lie technique. Dr. Wortham jumps on the spot. Well, I hate to say that, Senator, but I think Hitler was a beginner compared to the comic books industry. What? They get the children much younger. They teach them race hatred at the age of four before they can even read. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. The train is so far off the rails, it's oh no longer God. a train. Oh now my God. it's just detritus. So, so can so... mid-century Elizabeth go down and just start slapping? <laughs> just slap sense into him? Is so, Kefava sounds... Kefava. 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 He sounds like... The way you're doing it, <laughs> sounds like he lives on just drinking watered-down molasses. <laughs> this is full sustenance. Pretty close. Yeah. Just throwing a little, maybe a little whiskey in that water. I just, this this is making no sense. Well, Elizabeth. I'm so confused. So not only are Wonder Woman and Superman teaching the American children to hate cops, and they're also primed for fascism, and they have the whole race hatred in their hearts, and they're looking around for a new Hitler, but... <laughs> They're also against America. So not only are they supporting fascism, but they're not down for mom and dad and apple pie. Huh. I don't think you understand this. No, I do not. I okay. absolutely okay. do not okay. understand this. We're going to take a short break. And okay. after the short break, we're going to meet the man who's willing to stand up for comic books and your lady Satan. Oh, thank God. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX Anniversary Sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.
Now, Elizabeth. Zaren. You were up on Capitol Hill, sent there to meet with uh, Lady Mamie Eisenhower. First Lady Mamie Eisenhower. Lady Satan. Lady Mamie Satan Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Yeah. Yes. Now, you spotted that hullabaloo going down. You went into the Senate. You saw the Senate subcommittie. You saw Dr. Wortham and I Senator Estes Kefauver. I ditched Mamie. <laughs> She's still waiting. Well, you're still in the Capitol Rotunda, and you're still in the Senate chambers, and you're still in the gallery in time to see William Gaines, our anti-hero, take the stage. He is the publisher of entertaining comics group. Okay. Now, you may not know them now, but they were the first comic book company, essentially. And it's a family company, one that he's now inherited from his dad. And under his new young leadership, he's decided, let's do horror comics. Oh, why not? I love those. I want some more crime stories. And so he's making stories that are not just for young kids, but for teens and for young adult readers. He's basically doing YA before it exists. Okay. Okay. It becomes wildly successful, especially the horror comics. He also prints biblical comics. Wait, horror? Horror, like okay. scary. Yeah, I horror. wanted to just double check yeah, on no, that. Not, not horror comics. <laughs> sex worker comics, Elizabeth, for the children? No. Just horrors. They're biblical every... <laughs> stories with sex workers. It's a Mary Magdalene series of no, comics. I just books. thought it was like whores going out and <laughs> fighting crime. <laughs> whores. Bunch of whores. <laughs> Who's no offense to whores. <laughs> you know, gotta love a whores bath. No, all of us in this show, we support the whores. <laughs> Good for him. No, Good we're definitely pro-sex worker. We all know this. <laughs> now, this guy, William Gaines, he's unafraid to speak his mind because he is unafraid of the imagination of the American kids. He's also unafraid of a row of old geriatric senators. He's young. Him. He's got all sorts of confidence. Also, he's high on speed. <laughs> Yeah, so, well... <laughs> Fun fact. Yeah, so he had this scheduled Senate testimony, so he got <laughs> hopped up on some like some speed pills, right? And they rescheduled it and pushed him after lunch. So now the speed is draining out of his system, and he's going through amphetamine withdrawals when he <laughs> takes the stage. A little bit of a come down. So I'd like you to focus on this young, cocky, 32-year-old comic book heir publisher with a nasty speed habit. <laughs> so Mr. Gaines introduces himself in a quote... I'm here as a voluntary witness. I asked for and was given this chance to be heard. Two decades ago, my late father was instrumental in starting the comic magazine industry. He edited the first few issues of the first modern comic magazine, Famous Funnies. My father was proud of the industry he helped found. He was bringing enjoyment to millions of people, right? So he starts Famous off, Funnies, boom, right there. solid. He's like, look, these are this is family he business. He was name dropping. Yeah, exactly. I'm about this. I was first. Where were you then? And Famous the like, Funnies, oh. everybody. So he then admits, he's like, look, I'm culpable, and I quote, I am responsible. I started them. Some may not like them. This is a matter of personal taste. And what he's referring to is the horror comic books that are really offending people, right? Yeah. And while he's at it, he also wants to take a little shot at uh, Dr. Wortham. So he says... It would be just as difficult to explain the harmless thrill of a horror story to a Dr. Wortham as it would be to explain the sublimity of love to a frigid old maid. Oh, ouch, zing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone came loaded for bear. <laughs> so, young dude Gaines, he's like, you know, the Senate subcommittee of geriatrics and your whatever, your hound dog, Dr. <laughs> Wortham, I ain't afraid of this, right? So he starts launching into society, being, being a citizen in a free society. What does this mean, right? And I quote... Our American children are, for the most part, normal children. They are bright children. But those who want to prohibit comic magazines seem to see dirty, sneaky, perverted monsters who use the comics as a blueprint for action. What are we afraid of? 
Are we afraid of our own children? Do we forget they are citizens too? and entitled to select what to read or what to do. We think our children are so evil, simple-minded, that it takes a story of murder to set them to murder, a story of robbery to set them to robbery. So you can see he's trying to, like, basically breathe a little reality back yeah. into these proceedings, right? Now, it's how a great old, argument. How well do you think it goes? Not too well, well unfortunately. He, I know how these <laughs> things work. He doesn't give up because now he makes his real solid, timeless point, which is... The truth is that delinquency is the product of real environment in which the child lives and not of the fiction he reads. There are many problems that reach our children today. They are tied up with insecurity. No pill can cure them. No law will legislate them out of being. The problems are economic and social, and they are complex. Our people need understanding. They need to have affection, decent homes, decent food. Now, these pleas that he's throwing before the Senate mm -hmm. subcommittee, they're like, none of these are good for headlines. None of these yeah. are good for firing up my base. So yeah. I'm going to ignore everything you're saying. Yeah. And they do, right? So the, the, this falls on deaf ears, right? Now, as the amphetamine is draining away <laughs> from his brain, because he's on a good roll at first, right? He's still oh, yeah. got a good head of speed going. And then it pretty much starts to, like, just you can watch it, like, the, the level in his eyes falling down, right? Mm -hmm. So by this point, he's about half eye level full of speed, right? <laughs> And uh, he starts making mistakes, right? Because he's now that after he makes his opening remarks, the senators can start questioning him. And that's where he starts stepping into all sorts of potholes. And uh, one of the first things that he says that it's a big mistake is, and I quote, my only limits are the bounds of good taste. What I consider good taste. <laughs> mm. You know where that's going to go. Yes. So they jump on this good taste into Senator Estes Kefal. Oh, get out of here. Dude. Yeah, he sees this as his opportunity, seizes on it, and he's like, picks up a comic book, starts waving it around. He's like, here's your May 22nd issue. This seems to be a man with a bloody axe holding a woman's head up, which has been <laughs> severed from her body. Do you think that is in good taste? Now, Gaines, he's got to be like, well, yes, sir, I do. Uh, for, the cover of, for the cover of a horror comic? Yeah. A cover in bad taste, for example, might be defined as holding the head a little higher so that the neck could be seen dripping blood from it oh, <laughs> and moving the body over a little further so that the neck of the body could be seen to be bloody. And Senator Kefauv is, uh, you have blood coming out of her mouth. Uh, <laughs> A, a, a little, Senator. And Senator Kefauver, here is blood on the axe. I think most adults are shocked by that. And boom, here's the rub. What upsets with most adults is not what upsets most kids. And this is what they're basically arguing. Gaines is like, the kids see this as ludicrous. You're the only ones who are like, that could be my head on that axe. Right. Right. So the Senate subcommittee, it just keeps going off the rails. Gaines is allowed to leave. And they kind of like realize that they're not going to be able to scare the American people they want. It lasts two days. They have an, another hearing in June. So the first ones are April 21st, 22nd, another June 1st. Boom. The summer happens. Kids are let out. So now you're not going to be able to scare the parents anymore. You don't really want to scare them because they're out where they can't see them. Right. So that's only good and useful when they were school children when you could be like wagging a finger, right? Now, the comic book code, though, they're worried about their wallet. They're like, oh, we got to get on this. Yeah. So they come up with the comic book code. And the comic book code is this, this stamp you can put on a comic book that says it's following all these rules which the comic book publishers come up with so they can self-police. Uh, what do you think they come up with as rules, Elizabeth? I don't know. The height of the head dripping blood on the cover? <laughs> 
I sympathize on behalf of all those who drop gross outs all the time. Right? You, you know. know. It's like, look, I'm being cartoonish. My, you yeah. know I'm being cartoonish. When I say gross things on this show, in my head, it's a, it's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people hear it and take it very literally. Well, Senator Esther Keefe has an issue with what you do, Miss Elizabeth. <laughs> I got issues with him. <laughs> well, I'll see him outside. <laughs> I'll see him after class. <laughs> so the couple, I'll just run you out a couple. Of the, there's a lot of rules, so I won't yeah, tell you all of them. Yeah. But they basically go into, like, one, crime shall never be presented in a way as to create sympathy for the criminal, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, right? that, that knocks us out of here. Yeah, we're, we're done. <laughs> uh, another one, policemen, judges, government officials, and respected institutions shall never be presented in such a way as to create disrespect for established authority, blah, blah, blah. Right? Wait, one, how boot-stepping is it? Okay, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Another one, criminals <laughs> should not be presented as to be rendered glamorous, right? Well... Yeah, exactly. So, like, <laughs> apparently they think children are dumb and they got to be like, oh, we got to make sure kids aren't confused. I don't know. Like, kids are savvier than adults generally. My mother always used to tell me that you're you're at your absolute smartest at eight years old. Yes, I would completely agree because yeah. you're, you're paying the most attention. And, and that's you been are for me downhill ever since <laughs> ever then. Since just a steady slide. I peaked at five. <laughs> oh, well, I feel for you, girl. Thanks. <laughs> the, uh, the, the comic codes, right, they, they don't just have rules for just for the heroes and heroines about like, oh, for crime. It's also about how they live because it's the 50s. Yeah. So there's rules like, if in case Superman gets a divorce, here's how you show it, right? What? So the rules oh. are like, divorce shall not be treated humorously nor represented as desirable. But it's so funny. It is, and desirable. <laughs> desirable. <laughs> and uh, there's also the, the like romance stories, right? Because like, what if, you know, before Superman gets divorced, he's got to have some love time. So he and Lois are like having <laughs> love the, their love time. I'm trying to put this in Senator Estes Kefauver's language. Right, right. Right. Well, you have to emphasize the value of the home and the sanctity of marriage. Now, I don't know if they mean the economic value of the home or just like the, like, it feels good to own a home. It's a home ownership. I think they mean the latter, yeah. They're, they're championing home ownership. <laughs> like, what, what kind of, like, what interest rates are we getting these years, kids? Do you know the answers? You should. One rule that was prominently listed amongst these guidelines, which seems to have fallen somehow out of favor with all these other ones, like, respect the law, don't show criminals are bad, you know, don't show Superman getting a divorce and being happy about it. It. Here's the one rule that they left out because it's in there. It's like high up on the list. Females should be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities. Yeah, they really stuck to that one. So, you know, I'm not complaining. As a former teenage boy, <laughs> I, I'm not complaining. I was like, look, I get it. I can see why you did it. I bought the comics. None of it's them a had, business. None of them had stretch marks. <laughs> Wonder Woman was Tiger stripes, marks. Elizabeth. <laughs> well, when all was said and done, right? Coming out of the 50s, the comic code basically saves the comic industry. And then all these small publishers, independent publishers, the big ones emerge. We get DC Comics, which was originally Action Comics, becomes DC. Marvel Comics emerges. And you get these uh, people like the familiar names, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. They come out and they become the comic book industry. Well, Stan Lee ended up having to battle with this dude, Dr. Wortham, for much of his early career. And in, even in his oh. autobiography, he takes a couple shots at Dr. Wortham. Why and not? I, and I quote... To me, Wortham was a fanatic, pure and simple. I used to debate with him, which was fun because I usually won, but that was rarely publicized. He once claimed he did a survey that demonstrated that most of the kids in reform schools were comic book readers. So I said to him, if you do another survey, you'll find that most of the kids who drink milk are also comic book readers. Should we ban milk? His arguments were patently sophistic, and there I'm being charitable, but he was a psychiatrist, so people listened. Wow. Boom, Stanley. Good argument. Yeah. So the thing, though, that really saved comic books wasn't all this hype and everything. It was TV. 
Yeah. Interestingly enough, oh, Superman yeah. was a huge hit on TV. So from 52 to 58, Superman's a hit. And eventually that meant that the Human Torch and Captain America and all these familiar comic books, Wonder Woman, they all get uh, new runs in the 50s, right? And we see that the superhero starts to become a staple of American culture, which I know you love because you're always like, hey, there's a new comic book movie. When can we go? But the comic book culture... no idea what any of those things are. I like hearing you say them because you'll mishmash them together. What's with the the Flashman? Is that new movie coming out? Dr. Flashman? Blake Spiderman. Yeah, DDS. DDS. Local dentist. (laughs) So uh, the Hollywood movies and streaming, which you love, uh, Uh all the superheroes, we wouldn't have any of that without this big period in time in the late 50s, early 60s, and the specifically one hero saved comic books. And it's not Superman, not Batman, not Wonder Woman, none of the ones you would think of. Can you guess who it was? Saved comic books. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you will, because you don't really like comic books. Was it the Hulk? Well, not a bad guess. The Flash. Oh, Flash. Oh. (laughs) Different Flash. (laughs) But this is the Flash with the article in front. That's Flash Gordon. Okay, whatever. They're related. They're cousins. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's just say they were. I like them. They are. I wrote them. Yeah, Yeah, Ming the Merciless says so. So, Sure. I have no idea what you meant by that. Okay, sure. So... The Flash is like this hero for the atomic age. Uh-huh. So everybody's like all super cool with this. Oh, like because the Flash. The like... Flash. The fastest runs real fast. Red outfit. I okay, pointed yeah, him but out like, yesterday to you. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like the Flash, like yeah. I am become death destroyer of worlds. Not Flash? that one. No, oh. no, not the, no, not the <laughs> Oppenheimer. Like, no. So, uh. The, the Flash is popular. Let's just pretend you know who he is. Okay, he runs sure. real fast. He's oh, a superhero yeah. runs real fast. Got it. Like a Flash. <laughs> like a flash went by. Okay. Have you seen that flash go by? <laughs> there you go. Okay, see, now you're with me. So I'm with flash, it. I got it. I got it. The flash is so popular that it's because he's a young hero. He's a teenager. So then we get Spider Man, your guy, uh-huh. and then the Fantastic Four and Mutant. Sorry, and Fantastic Four is probably the four before Spider Man and the Four Tops, <laughs> the Temptations, X Men. So. <laughs> Yeah, so now there was one other force that really helped cement the superhero era into what we know of it today. Do you know, mm-hmm. can you guess who that was? Who was a real person? Not oh, the I was going to say like you merchandising mean, toys? No, you know this person. Personally? I often mention them. I know him personally or no? Dick Nixon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dick Nixon. <laughs> My man, Dick Nixon. <laughs> the year is 1970. Nixon's like hearing about all this kerfuffle about comic books. It just keeps kicking along. And so the comic code is like, you know what? I think we need to get a message out to the kids. Oh, they, they still read comic books, right? Well, and he calls up Marvel. He calls up Stan Lee. He's like, I want you to put out a comic book. And he's like, okay, well, Dick Nixon, what do you want me to put out the comic book? Wow. Drugs. What so was his thing? Nixon wants a drug storyline <laughs> in a Marvel comic book. Awesome. And Stan Lee's like, I don't know if I can do that. So he goes to the comic codes. He's like, look, President Nixon's on my case. He wants a storyline about drugs. And they're like, you can't do that. Don't fall for it. It's a, it's a trap. He's trying to, it's Nixon. He's tricky. Don't do it. Stan Lee's <laughs> like, I trust him. He called me on my home phone. I'll, it's fine. Nixon's like, Stan, uh, any update on the drug comic book? Uh, I really want to read it. And so Stan Lee's like, I, goes back to comic code. We got to do this. They're like, you can't do it. So he's like, I'm doing it. So Stan Lee decides to do it anyway. Takes the comic book code uh, off the front of the comic book, puts out his drug storyline in a Spider-Man comic book, a very famous one, and it's all about like drugs, and Nixon's just stoked. What oh, is like, a great story. It's like the Flash injecting doobies in no, his Spider-Man. Yeah, No, Spider-Man. No injecting <laughs> doobies. No snorting rails of the pot. So wait, does Spider-Man get a pill habit? No, He's a, all a, sparkle-neely. <laughs> 
He's like all pissed off. Spider-Man needs his go-go juice if you want any crime spot around here. Spider-Man's hopped up on goofballs and he has an agenda. Spider-Man ain't in the mood to fight crime unless he gets a little bit for Spider-Man. He's all itching himself. Yeah, scratching. So uh, the other one, DC gets jealous. They're like, we want Dick Nixon to like us too. So then they do a a drug plotline the next year. It's about Green Arrow's buddy, Speedy. And Speedy gets a... Heroin habit. Oh, so, slows it down. Yeah, didn't see that you know? coming. You're like, Speedy, I know. Nope, it's got heroin. Got the speedball. Dick Nixon loved it. Great comic book. <laughs> so <laughs> Dick Nixon's all excited. So by 2001, all of this, like, Nixon's gone, so we don't worry right. about him anymore. Bye. But the comic book code is on its last legs because Marvel pulls out and says, look, we don't need this comic book code nonsense anymore. That's some mid-century, like, fossil stuff. And We're going full frontal. DC's like, well, we're going to stick with you. And Archie Comics says, we're still with you. So Archie Comics Archie. and DC. <laughs> they stay for another 10 years. And by 2011, they're like, okay, sorry, we had to go. And so then everybody leaves. Comic Code becomes defunct. And Goofus and Gallant are standing there all by themselves. <laughs> exactly. I guess it's just us. <laughs> so I don't want to leave you wondering, Please but don't. Senator Estes Kefauver. Yeah, what happened to him? You're like, what happened? Did he ever make anything of himself? I don't remember that name. Well, Elizabeth, <laughs> he did run for president. <gasps> Because oh. I told you, he, comic books were an easy headline. He wanted yeah. all that press. Well, it was because he was looking at, he was eyeing the big office in Washington. So in 56, he goes as VP, gets on the ticket with Adelaide Stevenson. Oh. Another name a lot of people probably don't yeah. know because he lost big to Ike and to Dick Nixon. Right, right, right. So Dick and Ike beat the pants off of Senator Estes Kefauver <laughs> and he Adelaide Stevenson. drowned his sorrows in his molasses. Now and... the big winner in all of this uh-huh. is publisher William Gaines and his speed habit. Remember him? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So during his speed-fueled fight on Capitol Hill, he decided, you know what, this is not the business for me. And he left comic books pretty <laughs> much like the next year. And he said, to hell with the comic books code. I can see the future. I don't want a part of it, right? Now, can you get Guess what he got into? Porn. Good guess. Oh. Practically. Not exactly. <laughs> he did found a new era in publishing. He became the publisher for Mad Magazine. Oh, and no each way. each month that in his new magazine, he openly mocked all of the powers that be, both yeah. in culture, Washington, everywhere. And it was a wildly popular magazine for decades and a big part of the underground culture that would come to flourish in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. So he got his wish. He was still hyping the kids. And then by then it was the teenagers. And so he was getting them to like not go to war and yeah. do all the things. So he really was able to continue his fight. So William Gaines kept at it. Wow. So we probably wouldn't have Mad Magazine if it weren't for Keyform. Uh, Senator, that's the key father. You're welcome, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thanks, dude. So what's our ridiculous takeaway for today? Comic books and drugs, dude. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> My ridiculous takeaway is that I get so frustrated with illogical arguments like this that I just shut down. Yeah. And then also, I and I know absolutely nothing about comic books. I know. So I like telling you this one. <laughs> I was like waiting for you to be like, wait, is the thing in this? Is because you like the thing, right? I don't know. What, what is is the he thing? the one with the brain? You like the Hulk? No, I don't really. You know what I like is the, uh, what's the hammer guy? Thor. Yeah, I like the, the funny guy. the funny Hammer Guy movies. Yeah. <laughs> funny Hammer Guy movies. <laughs> Those are the ones that I like. Haven't you only seen one of them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Funny Hammer Guy movie. Yeah, the Funny Hammer Guy movie. I pluralized it. I should not have. And I think I've seen the Robert Downey Jr.'s. The Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, I the, saw one of those. The um, the knight in the metal suit guy. Yeah, I feel I, I like a good redemption story. Mm-hmm. So like Robert Downey Jr.'s redemption story. So not Iron Man, but Robert Downey Jr.'s personal remember. story. 
I don't remember what happened in the movie. They're I know both that redeemed. Gwyneth Paltrow is in it, and I just, yep. uh, you know, I, I, not whatever. a fan. No, not, not into the Goop Nation. No, but I do like funny hammers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy for you. The senator <laughs> Estes Kefauver could be a small pot in your happiness. Now, for me, it's yeah, the, please it's the irony. share. And I'm glad you asked, Elizabeth. <laughs> the Look, they were concerned about comic books because they just thought they were too dangerous for kids, right? And they're worried about, like, oh, they imagined all these horrors, right? So really they were afraid of their own imaginations. And that the comic book publishers were focused on making more marketable, squeaky clean comic book heroes. So eventually they ended up making the world that we now have because they said, these are not good. Whereas mm-hmm. if they let them just do what they would have done, the market would have most likely changed. And we may not be in this comic book drenched culture we live in well, today. that's interesting, yeah. So they, they did the ultimate Streisand effect where they were like, complained about it so much it took over the culture in a sense. <laughs> now, thanks, Senator Estes. Key follow. Well, and they're cutting funding so that we have like falling literacy rates. Mm-hmm. We don't have adequate education. Mm-hmm. We're not giving kids a sense of curiosity in their schoolwork. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that they're doing on their own time mm-hmm. of reading. That they're engaging with or excited about. You know, having like expansive curiosity. Mm-hmm. No, squash it. Yeah, let's let's not have them engage with no, stuff. No, we have to dumb <laughs> the American terrible. mind. They're malleable. Also, now I'm getting all frustrated again. <laughs> if you have a moral panic... Yeah. Right away, you have failed. And I know that many people are like, what do you mean a moral panic? Moral panics are essentially a good thing. We have to have morals. That's not what I'm talking about. Right, the right. panic is the problem because they're dealing with a made-up problem. Because mm-hmm. you don't need a Senate subcommittee to solve these types of problems. It, that, that's just theater. I mean, that's just purely for Senator Estes Kefauver to run for president, right? Mm-hmm. But if something is really a big, bad, monstrous concern that is going to threaten America, or just let's just make it more personal, it's going to threaten you, Right. No one needs to work hard to scare you because if it is a real threat, like, say, let's say it's fire. All you need to do is point at the fire and say, fire. Yeah. And the person knows. Like, you have, if you have respect for a person, we know what endangers us. Now people are like, oh, well, what about climate change where people are arguing about that? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about clear, eminent dangers that, where people are talking about, this is going to happen. And they're arguing as if this is happening right now. We're mm-hmm. not talking about down the road. I'm saying these people are talking about panics the way they often do. And then we have to take action right now. And when they do that, what do we get? More comic book movies. Because the moral panic wasn't the problem They're to solve. They're bringing down Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> They're ruining independent filmmaking. I think we need to convince them that books are ruining America, and we can see if we can save publishing. I don't know if that can be done. I don't think it can. <laughs> publishing is ruining publishing. I know. There's multiple problems here. Right, right? yeah. I'm, I'm not a senator, and <laughs> I've never played one. Anyway, that's my story for you, Elizabeth. Thank uh, you thank for listening. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That was really lovely. That's all I have for you. you. Well, thank you for joining us. I am Elizabeth Zarin Burnett. I'm the Flash. (laughs) You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime, on Twitter, and on Instagram. You got a tip for us? Well, just write a postcard, send it to your local police station, and tell them to contact us. Try sending it general delivery to Ridiculous Crime, Oakland, California, and see what happens. Oh, I'm into that. Uh, it'll, no. It's not anyway. going anywhere. Well, well, we'd like to hear about your crime, so email us. That's probably the best way. You can do it at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Yes. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zarin Burnett. Produced and edited by Jack Kirby Truther, Dave Couston. Research is by our star witness for the Ridiculous Crime Senate Subcommittee, Marissa Brown. Our theme song is by Dr. Doom's beatmaker, Thomas Lee, and Spider-Man's former DJ, Travis Dutton. 
Executive producers are Ben, I'm Wonder Woman, Bolin, and no, wait, no, I wanted to be Wonder Woman, Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xu mo.com or download from the app and google play stores today all you can stream with zumo play